again. And through the resurrection power of Christ, you've given us power to overcome the world. Lord, you've said that you've overcome the world, and we too shall overcome the world. And today, Father, I pray that you would give us an anointing as an overcomer, to overcome all those things that stand before us and hinder us from entering the pathway that you've set before us. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit tonight. Thank you, Father, that no life will left unchanged tonight, that every single person tonight will be affected by the power of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I shared this morning a little bit of a message, and I want to just continue on that path tonight, if I can. Those of you who weren't here this morning, I'll just try and sort of reiterate or cover that. Um, in my journey, in my travels throughout the body of Christ and throughout different places, I don't just minister in the church. I minister in corporate America as well. I minister to executives. I minister in the political realm to politicians. It hasn't helped much, but <laughs> we do it by faith, believing that somewhere along the line, God will have his way. And you know, the truth is God will have his way, you know. At least one person agrees with me, thank you. So in my travels, I've found out a lot of things. And I've started to realize that God is, uh, has us in a process where he's bringing us to the end of ourselves so that we become more like him. Now, that's not good news to the flesh because that uh, we, we just want to be comfortable. The gospel of the church in America has been... Be comfortable. We're going to pack in cotton wool. One day, God's going to sound the trumpet, and you're all going to go away. You pull the ripcord, and you're going to have a little home in glory land, and praise God, hallelujah, you're going to be out of the battle. Well, if you know and you're living in real-world America today, you know that you're not out of the battle because things are not good. You know what I mean? Uh, The median income of the average American family, which used to be in the 90s, $2,300 a month has gone down to $1,700 a month. <laughs> oh, what happened? <laughs> well, when you trust people that say they are godly and they're not godly, that's what happens. Delusion comes in. So there's a lot of people going through a lot of hardship and battle right now. Family battles, relational battles, business, jobs, income, all those sort of things. And I believe those are all part of God's process. Or as I say in my language, process. But to help you understand me, it's process. (laughs) So I believe God has us in in a process and we're on a journey. And the journey is all about the mandate, the initial assignment that God has in our life. Every single man's journey is different and it's based on his assignment. Every single man and woman that is sitting here today, whether you believe it or not, you're not here because you thought it was a good idea, that you needed God, and that, you know, you found Him, because He was never lost. Again, a guy said one day, have you found Jesus? I said, why is He lost? With GPS, you can't get lost now, that's... (laughs) But every one of you that is here has been brought by the Holy Spirit. Nobody comes unless the Holy Spirit draws or calls, or makes provision for you to be in this environment. Everybody that's been called, and everybody that's been born, man or woman or child, has a virtue, has a gift. The Bible says when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to all men. And uh, people say, well, the gifts have passed away. I say, well, you know, as men are still being born, that means the gifts are still being given, because Jesus is not an Indian giver. So everyone that's sitting here has a virtue. You have a gift in your personality, you have a gift in your nature, as well as you have spiritual giftings. And so we need to understand that every single one of us has an assignment and we have something to do for God. He didn't call us to take your packers in cotton wool and wait to ship before UPS back to heaven. He wants us to accomplish something on behalf of his kingdom. And so for us to be tried and for us to be what I call qualified for service, we have to go through a a process. And I shared with the people this morning that when I was a young guy and I lived in my mother's house, uh, in our country we had national service. So when you became a certain age or when you get into trouble with the police, you would end up in the military. I'm not going to tell you which one I, <laughs> as a process of why I ended up in the military, but anyway, I did. Way before my time, but I was there. And the first day I came there, there was this big guy that was built like a brick toilet. And he screamed and shouted and everything that I did, 
I did a double pace and I, I had all my hair cut off and I learned all different things. I learned how to iron clothes. I learned how to uh, spit polish my boots. I learned how to march left, right, left, right. I learned how to talk a different language. There was all these different skills that I acquired within a short space of time called boot camp. I learned how to get fit. When the guys would run you to five miles, and they say, you see that tree, get me a leaf. And you run to the tree and get a leaf. And you get back and they said, no, not that tree, the other tree. So, <laughs> well, what is that for? That's really to deal with a rebellious nature. Why, why should I do it? Because I said so. Well, who are you? All right, well, give me ten. And I tell you what, all the other guys, get, by the time they break you down, the first thing they do is they break you down so they can rebuild you. And part of God's process when you come to the kingdom, is to break you down to a point where you let go of your fleshly attributes and you start relying on your spiritual gifts and spiritual attributes and be led by the Spirit and be guided by the Spirit. Because if you have to be guided by your flesh and the passions and lusts and desires of your flesh, you'll be in delusion. You will never make what God's called you to make. You'll never be available to it. You'll be deluded into something else. So part of the process that I shared about this morning is the first area of development that you come into when you come into the kingdom. And it's not just a once-off thing. It's an ongoing process. It's a character development. You need to have most people that have failed in their lives have never failed in their gift, but they've actually failed in their character. When a man makes a mistake, it's not a mistake in his gifting. It's a mistake in his character. If you look at all these NFL sportsmen, whenever they make a mistake, it's not really a mistake that they made on the playing field but it's a mistake in their character. If you look at Tiger Woods, what a wonderful golfer he is, where did he make the mistake? Character. Character is one of the greatest attributes that God is going to test. If you have an assignment in your life, you will be tested in your character. Everything that God can test you for will be tested. You will be found out to be really what is inside of you. You'll know who you are and what you are when you go through this process. God has taken the church through what I believe one of the deepest character tests we've ever been through. He's taken men and women, relationships, marriages, children, families through a character test. It's very difficult to go through a situation and not harbor an anger resentment against people, be upset and be, blame other people for your issues. That's where God is dealing with us right now. When you start looking at people and talking to them, you start finding out where the problems are. Just let a person talk for a little while and you know exactly what their problems are. Why? Because what's in the heart comes out the mouth. So basically what I'm looking at today within the culture of the American church is that God has taken us through a major character development. And the process of the character development, when I was in the military, the first thing I learned was to speak a different language. No longer did I speak about waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, but I spoke about 0500. I didn't speak about running one mile or two miles. I spoke about running one or two clicks. You learn to talk about left and right, coordination. You learn to walk in unison and unity. One of the scriptures in Ephesians says the fivefold ministry is given to the body of Christ to equip us, to equip the saints in the unity of the spirit. The biggest problem we have today in the church is we do not have unity in the spirit. Unity in the spirit is different to unity in the flesh. Unity in the Spirit is we don't all believe the same. That's why we are powerless, because a kingdom divided against itself will never stand. One person believes in being baptized once. One person believes in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One person believes hold them down until they die, and if they're raised again, Jesus baptized them. So we have all these different philosophies and doctrines, and we don't have unity of the faith. Part of the equipping of character is to bring us into unity of the faith, is to have a consistent, stable belief. Okay, because that's important in characters, to have a stable belief, to know what you believe, and to walk in that. God's calling us to that. The second portion was skill development. I shared it with you guys when, when I finished my boot camp. Then I went and did training with paratrooper school where I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane at night. Because we didn't have it easy like your guys do. Yeah, they jump out in the day. We jumped out at night. So your first jump is out airplane at night. You don't know. It's what two. 2,500 feet, freezing cold weather, wind blowing, and suddenly you stand at the door and think to yourself, why am I leaving this airplane in good condition? And then the instructor stands behind you and gives you a little bit of a boost. When you fall out the door, especially me, I scream like a girl. 
Well, nobody can hear you up at that height. It's just you. <laughs> your, your scream is frozen behind you as well. And, but as you start falling and you start remembering what the instructor started to train you, you remember to pull up your chute, lock your chute, get it all full of air, because if your chute is not full of air, you go, <laughs> dead. So you remember those things. So the, the skill development comes in hearing. The second portion of training in the kingdom is to know, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, is to know what God is saying. The Bible says that God is continually speaking to those that he loves. He's continually encouraging us. He's continually, the problem is if you're not skilled in that area, you're not going to hear. You're always going to have to go and lick the stone. Do you know what lick the stone means? No. I ministered in a church a couple of years ago in Florida, and the pastor, um, they had this church out in the, um, I don't know what you call it, bayou or whatever it is, and they had a bunch of, bunch of cows and all those things. And he said, hey, I want to show you something. Now, I don't know anything about a cow. All I know about a cow is when it ends up on the plate, it's a steak. It's about all I know about a cow. Sometimes you have good cow, sometimes you have bad cow. So he takes me out and shows me this cow, and he's feeding this cow. And he puts down this thing called a salt lick or a molasses lick or something, and this cow licked it. And I looked at the cow's eyes, and it was like the cow went like this. And I said, what happened? He said, well, he said, because the cow eats so much of this grass and that, what it does, it's, it blows up. And to, to activate the digestive system, because the cow has five levels of digestion. I don't even know what we have, but anyway. You lick the salt lick, and what it does, it causes a euphoric response in the cow, which starts the digestive system and gets the cow not to explode because of the gas. So when the cow licks this salt lick, I'm getting to the moral of the story in a minute. I'm getting to the moral of the story in a minute. When the cow licks this thing, it kind of like goes... It's kind of goofy. And then when I was standing there, the Spirit of the Lord says, what does that remind you of? And I said, well, a cow lick in the... No, he said, it reminds you of my people. When they come to church and they lick the stone and they touch the presence of God for a minute and they get euphoric and they say, that's enough, I'll come back next week for some more. And that's what's become with us is we've become people that are prepared to lick the stone and experience God through that way rather than to experience God on a continual basis. You know that Jesus said that he gives you a new name and he writes your name upon the stone. And the stone is Christ, who is the rock, Christ Jesus. We're quite happy to once a week to come take a lick of the stone quickly and then that's good and I'm going to come back next week. We don't have this ongoing relational lifestyle, building skill and character to hear God on a continual basis. Because you know why? We live in a protected lifestyle. But when you go to places like Africa and places that are war-torn, People need to hear from God on a continual basis. Why? Because if you don't, you die. You literally get killed. Because it's a, it's a terrible world out there. You guys have it very comfortable. We grew up in a nation that was in a terrorist war. And they weren't bombing places over there and somewhere else. We were having daily episodes of terrorism, guns, shooting, blowing up things, killing people in the streets on a continual basis. So you had to continually hear from God about where you were to go. My wife and I once were doing shopping in the Mschlongerocks Center in Durban. Christmas time. Uh, four days before Christmas. And we were doing the shopping, Christmas shopping for the kids. And I had my daughter in, in the push cart with me and I was we were buying the stuff and the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, you need to leave now. How do you take your kids out of the cart while you've got all these toys in there that you've just bought for them and bail? But it was so urgent, I said, we need to leave right now. And 20 minutes after we left the shopping mall, a bomb went off and killed 40 people. That's how you have to hear. That's how clearly you have to hear. And if you don't hear like that, guess what? We could have been a casualty of that situation that day. But it takes hearing what the Spirit is saying. And if we are His sheep, if we are His children, we have an obligation to hear His voice. Because truthfully, if you don't hear God's voice, how are you going to know what he's saying? How are you going to know what he's doing? So a big part of the development, as far as your mandate is concerned, is to have skill development, hear correctly. The next one I shared this morning was spiritual development. Whereas I spoke about, we live in an upside-down world. What you see out there in the world is not right-side-up. The world as it is today is not right. What is right is the way God has ordained it to be. Living in the presence of God, living off the manifold wisdom of God, 
living by the streams of God, drinking daily water from God. That's the right side up. Knowing the plan of God. What Adam had in the Garden of Eden was right side up. After sin came in, the world turned upside down. What do we have today? People chase the wrong dream. People chase after wealth, finance, provision, cars. And their concept is who has the most toys wins. But in actual fact, it's not true. So most of people strive their whole life to have possessions, to have security, to have a house and a this and a that. And there's no, nothing wrong with that. But the bottom, it's the wrong way around. And everybody strives for that lifestyle thinking that's the perfect lifestyle. But in truth, that's not the perfect lifestyle. Because you can have all that and be totally empty inside. And so part of the development that God wants you spiritually, He wants you to start developing who you are in Him. To know Him. And I shared this morning, when I went to another specialization thing in the military, they trained me how to use weapons. And then they trained me standing right away up, and then they'd hang you upside down. Once they trained you how to use your weapon upside down, they would spin you around because then you get, you lose coordination. And then once you've learned how to do that, then they give you your enemy's weapon to use. Not because they want you to use the enemy's weapon to know how to use it, but they want you to be able to be aware of what the enemy's weapon is and how it works. After all that training, you get to a place where you become efficient as a soldier. You can go into any battle situation. You can know exactly what to do at any time. You don't panic. You don't cry. You don't scream. You don't whelp, you know what to do. See, the Bible says that we have the wisdom of God that dwells in us. We should have the revelation and knowledge. Daniel, the book of Daniel that I shared about this morning. Those young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, four men, brought down the whole of Babylon, turned the nation around on the basis of one thing only, their relationship and obedience to God. They didn't have a political rally or tea party. They didn't go out and shout and try and lobby votes. They pressed into the presence of God and got the anointing of the Lord. And the day when Nebuchadnezzar needed a dream and there was no man to speak to the dream, Daniel was the man. And what happened is it turned the king's heart. It brought the king out of a mentality of being a cow. Because Nebuchadnezzar had been cursed to be like a cow for seven years. He'd been licking the stone. We have a lot of cows in the church. People lick the stone. They have no relationship they just come to taste a little bit of Jesus. Every Sunday they come float with him for a couple of minutes. He says, come into my presence. Oh, Jesus, you're so cute. You've got such beautiful blue eyes. I'll just stand here. Hello. <laughs> I need you to meet my needs this week. Come into my presence. Oh, I'm okay over here. Don't worry, man. I'm cool. Yeah. You're so awesome. I can't come close to you, man. It's just... We float with Jesus. We float with the Lord. We flirt with him because we just want something from him. We don't really want to be there. We don't want to be with him. We don't want to know him. We don't want to have that relationship with him. That when you walk into a place and people are broken and wounded, that by the spirit you know what they're going through and you can speak to them. That's what I love about Jesus. He goes out of Jericho, does great miracles, heals a lot of people, walks into Jericho, pushes away from the miracle people who saw the miracles, goes into the city. There's a man up a tree named Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I'm coming to eat at your house. The profound thing about it is Jesus recognized something in Zacchaeus. What was it? Well, the Bible says, cursed is a man that hangs upon a tree. Zacchaeus was a city leader in Jericho. Zacchaeus was an influential man. People hated him because he was involved with the government of the city. But he was up a tree. He recognized his weakness. Jesus did too. Called him down, went and ate with him. And he changed the atmosphere of the city called Jericho. I don't know about you, but I think God's called us to be life changers, to affect people's lives, to touch people's lives. We have an assignment. There's two assignments we have, and I'm going to talk about that quickly. There's two assignments we have is this. Make disciples of men and love your neighbor as yourself. All you need to do is just try and fulfill those two. Try and love that person that lives next door to you. And when we moved into the house, we moved into, I don't know what happened, but... My neighbor is demon-possessed. <laughs> and for the first couple of months, I, I thought of every way I could get him and just knock him out. Just fivefold ministry. Now, I know you're not like that, but I'm just real. He shouted and screamed my wife one day. I went out of the house and said, you talk to my wife again like that, I will knock you out in Jesus' name. 
I did. My wife will tell you. I just, I rebuked him, man. I got, got up in his grill. <laughs> I got up in his Kool-Aid. The only reason I stopped from knocking him out is going through my immigration process. I don't want to be deported. But I will tell you what, if it was another day, poof, I would have sent that little boy down. But anyway, it's been four years now we've lived next to this guy. And like, you know, when people get out of the house and they stare you down, that's what it's like. So I prayed about it. I said, God, you know, this is not right. The way I feel about this guy is not right. The way he feels about us is not right. We've got some real bad blood. Is there any way that this thing can be resolved? Because you know what? It's uncomfortable walking in the front door and being confronted with this like ice cold thing all the time. And I was at the service station one day filling my car with gas. He pulled up. He said to me, hey, man, nice car. Grabbed my hand, shook my hand, told me his name. The first time I knew his name, I never knew his name before that. Good to see you, man. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm stood there thinking to myself, what happened? <laughs> Kissing his car and drives away. And I told my wife, the guy came and shook my hand. She said, wow. And it's been lately the last couple of months, every time I see him, hey, how are you doing? It's like something's turned. And really what turned was the attitude of my heart. Because I, first of all, got over my issue and got over what he did to us, forgave him, and then I've been trying to pursue this thing to try and repair, heal the breach. But that's what we're called to. We're called to love those. They may not look the same as you. If you can do that, that'll be good. Anyway, so let's talk about assignment development. That's the final process. There's three kinds of assignments. There's God's assignment. You know, God has an assignment. He has an assignment he set for himself. What is that? Is that no man should perish and every man should come to the knowledge of salvation. Am I right? You're not, you're not sure. It's not, it's not a test. <laughs> and then there's your assignment. And every man's assignment according is different. And then there's Satan's assignment. And this is where a lot of the church kind of like lose themselves. A lot of the church focus so much on the demonic and on what Satan's doing. But you need to understand that he's a created being. Uh, he's created there for God's purpose. Somewhere in the Bible, they call him fuller's soap. In other words, that's a product that's used to polish steel. Other areas, they call him test of the metal. The only reason he's really there is to test you and to keep you and to make you, resist you and to make you strong. He doesn't have authority unless you give it to him. Most people say, well, the devil did it. No, he didn't do it. What did you do that opened the door for him to do anything to you? See, we need to get out of this religious junk. Well, the devil did it to me. No, you, you did something. The devil doesn't have power over you because you have a will. Not even does the Holy Spirit have power over you because God gave you free will. He gave you the right to choose. The devil cannot override your will. I don't care what you say. You made a choice. You came into agreement with it and you did it. That's why he has power. N'est-ce pas? C'est vrai? No? Anybody uh, speak French? Yeah, but of course, we can understand that. But what I'm saying to you is, the only way somebody has authority over you is if you give it to them. You can say no. If the enemy tempts you, and you take the temptation, you come into agreement with it, guess what happens? Bada bing. Bada boom. If you're in New Jersey. It happens. But if you resist, the Bible says, what happens? He flees from you. So we need to understand that there is a demonic assignment. The demonic assignment is the enemy has come to rob, steal, and destroy. You need to be aware of that. You cannot make an agreement with him because he's a liar and he will not follow through on the agreement. Any agreement you walk with him in, he will use it to destroy you. God's assignment is to redeem you out of that, bring you into the law of, of liberty, out of the law of sin and death, into agreement with God's world, the right side up, and it's his, it's his ability to give you power to fulfill the mandate on your life via the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So you don't have to say, well, I don't know, because the Holy Spirit can lead you into all truth. I had a man one day give me a 20-page dissertation on why we shouldn't be tithing. And I said, well, tell me about your life. So I looked at his life, and it's in the toilet. 
I said, do you know why your life is in the toilet? It's not because you don't tithe. It's because you have a spirit of poverty. It's because if God has instituted something and put it in place and process to protect you, and you, dis, and you disengage it and you don't allow it to be legitimate and you, you have a problem with money, then the bottom line is this is the result. So he said, well, prove it to me. So I took him to the book of Zechariah, chapter 5, verse 1, and it speaks about a scroll that goes throughout the earth and it looks for contraband. So he said, well, I don't have contraband. I said, well, Malachi says if you don't tithe, you're robbing God. Am I right? Okay, so if you're robbing God, you're a thief. So if you're a thief, you have contraband. And the book of Zechariah says that this scroll goes out into the whole earth and it looks forever who steals and who bears false witness. And what it does, the scroll moves into this household and dismantles the man's household brick for brick and stick for stick. And I said, the reason why everything in your life is falling to pieces is because you're a thief. I beg your pardon? You're a thief. How can you say that to me? True. Well, it's my money. No, it's not your money. Everything you have is given to you by God. All he's requiring from you is a portion. As an honor to him. And if you don't honor him in it, the enemy moves in. God's not going to judge you. The enemy will come in because he's a legalist and he'll move into your house through this process and he'll dismantle everything. And that's what happens to a lot of people because they, they don't know. But now you know. The Word of God can show you these things. There's so many things in the Word that you know about relationship. These are things we need to learn about how God works, His administration. So, assignment development. Have you ever heard of a man called Paul? Book of Acts. Have you heard of a man called Paul? Paul, and I'm not going to read the scripture. It's, it's in Acts, Acts chapter 27. I'm going to tell you the story. It's going to make it more interesting. Okay, My version. Paul is this great man. He's a, a scholar. He's a lawyer. He loves to deliberate the word. He gets his letters one day. He's on this road to Damascus to go and capture the Christians and kill them. A light appears. He's blinded. He falls on the floor. This voice speaks to him and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? That's name. His name was Saul. And uh, he's, he answers and says, is that you, Lord? He already knew. And so what happens is he goes blind and there's this whole process in his life where God said you're going to have to do certain things, you're going to have to suffer certain things for my name's sake. And there's a whole change that comes to his life. He's led away by some men. He's blind. The word of the Lord comes to him that he needs to go to the certain place and the man's going to pray for him. It's a place called Straight Street. He gets healed and then he starts his journey. His one journey, his one call was to the Gentiles, but Paul was a Jew. He didn't want to go to the Gentiles, so God arranges for him to be arrested and put in prison. He goes before King Agrippa. He then makes an appeal to see Caesar. Caesar's in Rome, Gentiles. Two years he stayed in prison waiting for the ship. One day they put him on a ship and they start sending him across to Rome. In the ship, while he's in the hold of the ship, he gets this perception or he starts recognizing by the Spirit that there's going to be a storm and there's going to be great danger on this trip. So he says to the captain of the ship on top there, he says, Hey, I perceive this journey is fraught with great danger. <laughs> the captain who used to go to Naval College says, Dude, I've sailed these seas many years. This is my version, like I said. I'm taking some liberty here. I've sailed these seas many years. I've got my captain's certificate. You know, I've mastered the ship for many years. That's going to be sweet. It's going to be like going to the Caribbean. And the captain of the ship agrees with him. And Paul, who's the apostle of God, is locked up in the hold under the ship, and off they go. And there comes a storm called Eurocladon, which is the north storm, the storm of judgment, they call it, and knocks the ship to pieces. I mean, eventually the guys have been pushed by the wind. They start throwing the tackle of the ship off. They start throwing everything overboard. Then they realize, uh, the problem is Paul. They want to throw him overboard too. Then the storm will stop. This is the problem. So he says, gentlemen, don't worry. The Lord has shown me that if we all stay on the ship, the ship will be destroyed, but not a hair on our heads will be touched. We'll be safe. Eventually the ship runs aground in Malta. Everybody ends up on the beach. All alive, the ship is destroyed. 
How do you like that for a process to get you into your ministry? His assignment was to the Gentiles. He spent two years ministering around Malta before he got to meet Caesar. But God took him through this almost a six-year process to bring him into his assignment with great things that happened to him, arresting, being beaten, all these different things that took place in his life. But I want to tell you, on that beach, a snake hit him in the hand, shook the snake off, and he lived. He walked in tremendous power. You know why? Because he passed the test. He made it through to the other end. His assignment drove him into his purpose. The assignment of God will drive you. Let me give you a for interest sake. Years ago, after my military training, I met my wife. And we were just ambling along through life. And then one day, I met God. I wasn't planning to meet God. I wasn't planning to make a commitment to serve the Lord. My wife and I had had an argument one Sunday evening. And I walked out of the house. And in our town, at Sundays and Saturdays, everything was shut down. On Saturday afternoon to Monday morning, businesses were closed. No movie theaters were open. Nothing was open. It was like we lived under blue laws. And so I'm walking downtown, and I come across this movie theater, and there's people there, and the lights are on. I think, oh, man, that's what I need. I need a movie. It's a good way to go to your happy place. Go and watch a movie. So I'm in this, I go into this movie theater, and I get in, and there's all these crazy people jumping around, and people singing songs and playing on instruments and guitars, and they stop. And I walk in the back door, and the guy says, you in the blue shirt, come here. And I was the only guy in the blue shirt. As I walked down, the guy started to prophesy over me. He said, your days of wildness and running around are over for I, the Lord, put a bit in your mouth and bridle on you, and I have restrained you. And I hit the floor. I lay on that floor, and I said, okay, the man who took me, when I get up here, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and the guy sitting over there playing and singing on that piano, when I get up here, I'm going to, man, I was mad as a snake. And the longer I lay there, the heavier it got. The heavier it got. And I couldn't move. And you know what that whole group of funny people did? They turned the lights off that night. They left me on the floor. Nobody came and spoke to me. They walked away and left me on the floor. Man, I was really mad. I was upset. So I went back the next week because I wanted a retribution. <laughs> I wanted to fix these people up. I went back the next Sunday because obviously this, this is whatever it is. Going, went back the next Sunday. Walked through the back door. Pastor of the church calls me, you, come here. God has called you as a prophet and he's sending you to the nations. You've got to understand, I hadn't even given my life to Jesus yet. I was so confused. Everything in my life turned upside down. All my plans crashed and burned. Everything that I had planned fell to pieces. My whole life came to a stop. Everything that I had planned ended. And something changed in my heart. And that, a week after, another man prophesied. He said, God has called you to sound the trumpet and you shall go to the nations. And God is calling you to the na nation where he spoke to you at the gateway of that nation. And you shall go and begin there. 1976, I came to America. With our Navy. I was 19 years old. Came to celebrate the bicentennial in, in uh, New York City. Big sail past, marching parades and all that sort of stuff. Standing on Liberty Island, looking across the Hudson River on the 4th of July, 1976. All my friends were up inside the statue. And I stood up there and I was just overwhelmed. When I stood in the city and I looked across this river and I saw the two towers and all the stuff. Something touched me in my heart. I didn't know God. I was just overwhelmed. I didn't know what this feeling was. But that day when that man prophesied that I touched your heart at the gateway of that nation, I'm sending you back. That's when something turned. You see, the assignment was driving me. From the day when that heavy blanket thing fell on me, when I didn't know who God was, from when he fell on me and he held me down, and from when he spoke to me and told me he called me to be a prophet, and from when he confirmed that what I felt when I was 19, which I didn't know what it was, was him. And ever since then, I've been driven by this passion, by this assignment to go to the nations, to speak and prophesy and speak the things of God to the nations. 
and there's nothing I can do to stop it. I would love to take a detour and do this, but I can't because I'm obligated. I'm propelled. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Drove him into the wilderness to be tested. Folks, you need to understand, God is so committed to the assignment of the kingdom that he's going to drive people to a place where they will have to surrender. And you know what? When this word came to me, my whole life, I was at that stage running a successful pharmaceutical business. I was making bukus of money. My take-home check was $50,000 a month back in those days. I was making coin. My house was paid for. I had five cars. I had servants working for me. I had everything in my hands and feet. God spoke to me. Sold everything, came to America. Within a month of being in America, I was in hell. I was in hell. My wife and I were evicted out of our apartment. We couldn't get back to South Africa. We were stuck. We had to go and live with people. I've never lived off charity in my life before. People who were poorer than me gave me money. It was the most humiliating thing in my life to go through. And I said to God, why have you humiliated me? God said, my assignment is more important because people are going to be poorer than you are going to come and bless you so that they can be blessed. And the whole philosophy, the concept of my life changed. Everything changed. My whole life changed because the assignment of God drove me. I have been through hell. But you know what? The wonderful thing is you can walk up to somebody and just by one word change their life. It is worth it. I've gone to people. I've gone to different places. A couple of years back, a friend of mine had cancer and the doctor said, go home, you're going to die. We give you three weeks, put your things together. He came to me after his, came to my house. He said, man, I've got three weeks to live. I said, who said? He said, the doctor. I said, he's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He said, how can you say that? He said, he's got blood tests and everything. He said, that's not the final word. Until the master physician has the final word, that's not the final word. I said to him, in three months' time, this picture is going to be different. Prayed over him and his wife. He fell down on the floor. His wife and him turned red, this color. It was like a fire came upon them. That man lived for another 15 years. Cancer was gone out of his body. Another friend of mine, just a month ago, diagnosed six weeks. I drove up to Abilene, going to spend time with him, prayed with him. Called me yesterday. He said, the doctor says, my cancer is 40% gone. See, those are the sort of things I'm telling you about. When you have an assignment, a call on your life, man, there's a power and the passion of God that works in you. That you can turn destinies and change the hearts of people. It's worthwhile paying the price and going through the battle and the hardship so that you can attain the glorious prize at the end. It's not the way you run the battle, it's the way you end the battle. I remember so many times, there was a young girl a couple of years ago in Phoenix, Arizona, 13 years old. I called up and I prophesied and I only had this word for her. God will not allow your life to end prematurely. She was dressed in black, black fingernail polish, black from top to bottom. She had such a bad attitude, but you know what? I spoke the word anyway. Last year, I get a letter from her, 13 years later. She lives in Maryland. She was driving home from work on a rainy night. The car spun out, went off the embankment, crashed into a pole upside down. They had to cut her out of her car. And the word of the Lord came back to her in my accent, said to her, I will not allow you to die prematurely. She gave her life to the Lord, hanging upside down in her car. Wrote me a letter, took pictures of the car. She sent me a check. She said, I want to give you an offering, my first offering, come to the kingdom. Still smells like gasoline in the car. She said, the word that you spoke of me 13 years ago stayed with me that night when I hung up in that car and they were cutting me out of that car. She said, I remembered and I heard your voice and I heard the word of God say that God would not allow me to die prematurely. Thank you for speaking that word. It took 13 years to come to pass, but it happened. You see, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. The assignment that God puts on your life is not your idea of what you want to do for God. It's God's idea what he wants to do for you. He wants to do something in you. He's taken you through this process of training to bring you, your character into a place where you can manifest the things of God, where you can walk in the power of God. You know, the economy is not good at the moment. People are battling. But you know something the Bible says? I have not seen the righteous beg for bread. Things might not get better down the road. Things may get worse. And if you're not connected to the things of God, there's not going to be provision. You're going to have to start connecting with your assignment. 
Because that's where the anointing is. That's where the authority is. If you're in debt, you want to break the power of debt? Connect with your assignment. Ask God, show me what your assignment is. What is your call on my life? In 1996, I was ministering in a congress in Washington. I got a phone call the Saturday morning. This guy calls me, Justice Rehnquist. He says, I have an opportunity to introduce you to the president. Do you want to go with me to the White House? I said, yeah, for sure. So I'm praying. I said, God, what do I say? Everybody in the Christian domain hates Clinton. <sighs> what do I say to him? I said, I don't know what to say to the man if I see him. And when I got in front of the man that morning, it was 10.30. I looked at him and in his eyes, I just said to him, I want to say to you, I want to ask you to forgive the church for the way we've judged you and maligned you and the things we've spoken about you and the things we've prophesied of you. I want to ask you to forgive me as a member of the church for what we've done to you. And the man just stood and the tears came out of his eyes. Spent four hours with him that day. It was the most profound time in my life to ever spend with anybody because you know what? I didn't like the man. But when I came away that day, my heart had changed and I started to pray for the man. I started to pray for the leaders of this nation because I recognize that you can't believe the media. You, you cannot imagine the things these guys go through in these positions they're called to. They have demonic things put on them all the time. It was the most profound experience for me. But you know what it did? It got me rejected by the church. And you know, that's fine. Because you know what? I'm not rejected by God. I'm accepted by God. The church can reject me. But you know what? That doesn't mean a thing. Because they don't hand. They don't hold me in the hand. God holds me in his hand. They can close the door. And God will open another door. They can destroy me here. God will make a way for me here. I live like that. I've lived like that for years. I've been trained from this size to live like that. When I was a young boy, I lived outside my father's house. I stood on the cold bunker looking into my father's house, seeing my family celebrate Christmas. I don't feel rejected. I know that I was an Oliver Twist. But that's okay because that's what God called me to be. Is to be the one that was rejected. So that he could accept you. And you know, it's the most wonderful thing when God accepts you. There's a peace that comes. There's a security that comes. I don't need to demonstrate or prove myself to people. I don't need a big name. I don't need to write a book. I don't need to be on TV. I turned all that stuff down. Because that doesn't make an impact. What makes an impact when God wakes you up sometime in the morning and says, Would you go and speak to so-and-so for me? And you say, Yes, Lord. And you go and you speak to them and turn their life around. That is more important. Would you provide a donkey for me? God said to me one day, he said, would you provide a donkey for me? I said, what are you talking about? I am a donkey. <laughs> well, in other words, I'm an ass. <laughs> I'm an ass. <laughs> you want to be an ass for Jesus? <laughs> That's not very nice. He's only a donkey. A <laughs> donkey. <laughs> uh, I tell you, man. So I said, well, what do you mean, God? He said, would you be prepared to be just like that man and provide the donkey for Jesus to ride in Jerusalem and have no recognition? We don't have how to provide a donkey conference. We don't have the book on how I provided a donkey for Christ to ride in and get Hosanna, Hosanna. We don't have the tape of the month, the conference, the T-shirt, the bag, the cap. But I want to tell you, that man who provided the donkey for Jesus to ride in to Jerusalem, that man holds a place in heaven because he accomplished the one thing that his assignment was, and that was to provide a donkey. Are you prepared to just provide the thing that God has called you to provide? You know, you may just be that person to be able to give a word to somebody, just encourage somebody. That may be what you're called to do, just to touch one person's life. But if you do that to the fullness of what you're called to do, You've accomplished all things that God's called you to. Can you imagine that? Just that one thing. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And that's how I've been living my life. And I tell you what, it's simple, it's easy, and it's very rewarding. Because I can go anywhere. I can be in Starbucks and minister. I've ministered in Starbucks to so many people. I stood one day in Starbucks waiting to get a cup of tea because I drink tea. don't drink coffee. I know, it's all right. I know, you're going to have to work through this, brother. <laughs> so I'm standing there one day and I'm listening, my ears drop on this conversation. You know how we drop, you know? It's like, wow, interesting. 
Maybe you don't, but I do. I'm just, I'm just a nosy pocket. What, what are they talking about? <laughs> and I'm listening to these two guys talk, and they're obviously in the ministry because a lot of ministry people meet at Starbucks. And this guy says to this other guy, you know, he says, I am so desolate and dry. He said, I have not seen God move in such a long time. He says, I don't even know how I stand up every Sunday and preach to my church. And I look and I recognize him as a guy who has quite a big church in Fort Worth. I'm thinking, my God, excuse me, if that's what the head of that organization is doing, can you imagine how the people are? Because the people, it all relates to the head. Man, and I'm just, get my team. But I'm, now this whole thing is working inside of me, and I'm just, I'm going to jump on this guy. I mean, I just want I just go ninja all over him. <laughs> I know you guys, I'm sorry, I didn't take my medication today. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm getting my tea ready, and a man, I'm just, and the Spirit of God speaks to me. And I walk over, and I call his name, and he looks at me, and I said, I released you the power of God in Jesus' name. And I mean, he just flew right over the table. Bam, him and the guy next to him caught him both together on the floor. Let's continue drinking my tea. Everyone's looking over. They didn't even see it. It was so quick. It was so swift. It was like, oh, I didn't even touch him. Yeah, I didn't even touch him. It's like as I put my hand out to him, he just flew. It was wonderful. And I walked out. And I don't know what happened, but I, don't, I know that virtue departed. Virtue left me. I felt it when I did that. There was something that happened. I saw that man just lift off the ground and fly, literally. <laughs> I haven't been back to that Starbucks. I changed the Starbucks. <laughs> I'm waiting for a lawsuit. <laughs> but, I mean, I know it's stupid, but listen. By the power of laying on of hands, you can impart something. By the power of speaking, you can remodel a person's life. You can lay your hand on somebody, and you can change the physical dimensions of their body. Do you believe this? Why don't we do it? See, this is what this is what I this is what I people say. Well, you know what? Luke Luke sixteen verse ten: Who is faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. And who is unrighteous in little is also unrighteous in very much. You know, you only need to do the small thing. If God says to you to do the small thing, just do that. Do not despise small beginnings. When I first started the prophetic ministry, I had it wasn't in the church in South Africa. I, I went to a prophetic church, this church where this thing fell on me. Everybody and his brother was prophetic. Everybody was playing instruments and worshipping. There was miracles taking place all the time. You couldn't get an audience up front to be able to get a Sunday morning to prophesy a word. There were too many people prophesying. Everybody and his cousin was prophesying. Children were prophesying. I said, God, how am I ever going to learn to be a prophet if there's no opportunity for me to do this? There's a lot of opportunity in America because nobody does it. But the church I went to, everybody and his brother was a prophet. Everybody was prophesying. Everybody was shunning, shunning over each other and casting out devils and healing. I'm serious with you, man. If you came to the church and you were full of sin, by the time you hit the front, you had 20 people on you. It was like, yeah, it was like a washing, a washerama. I mean, it was like going through the drive-thru. Everybody was laying hands on you. Serious. I've been, I've experienced it. And I said, God, I would really like to experience the prophetic. How do I do it? And that stage I used to travel from Cape Town up to southwest Africa, right across down most of South Africa on my trips with pharmaceuticals. And I would pray, have long hours to drive and long hours to pray. And God would show me things. And I would get to doctor's places and I'd go to the doctor and I'd, I'd sit down with them because I was sold pharmaceuticals. And I'd pray with the doctor and God would do some miracles, the most profound things with these men. I remember once I was on a trip and the river had flooded over. And I said, God, I need to cross this river to get to the other side because I need to get to the city. It's vital I get to the city. So the Lord led me down to the hardware store to go and get some rubber hose and duct tape. I duct taped the rubber hose onto my exhaust pipe and onto the top of my car and I drove through the river. <laughs> All the other medical reps were standing. And when you're going to drive through the river, it's going to be going to drown. You're welcome. You go ahead. I'm going to go through. I drove through. I got the other side. The doctors were so surprised to see me. What are you doing? I said, I came here to encourage you. Huh. 
The whole city was cut off. I was the only person who got through. God showed me where to go through. I followed the military trucks through. Brought medical supplies to the doctors. Gave opportunities for people to do things. Did just incredible things because God led me. God showed me how to do it. He taught me. He trained me. He started to show me different things. That's why today I have confidence in him more than I do in men. If God says go and do this, I go and do it. You know why? Because I know if I do that, that's obedience and that's righteousness. See, the thing is, man, the small things. If God says pray for somebody, pray for them. See, this is our assignment, is to be the hands of Jesus. I mean, seriously, as you're sitting here, do you not feel something inside your heart just saying, God, that is what I want? Don't you feel that? Don't you? You know, my, my heart breaks here for a lot of people in the church because they are so lost. When you talk to them about their future, I don't know. When you talk to them about their future partner, I don't know. What are you looking for? I don't know. They don't know what they want. When you talk to them about relationship, they don't know. They just want somebody to love them. They'll take anybody. So they go dumpster diving or dumpster dating. <laughs> it is. Some of you chicks accept some stuff from guys over here that will just make my head spin. Just so that somebody can love you. You'll just take anything. Guy will mistreat you, beat you up, abuse you, just use you. And you think, oh, he loves me. He doesn't love you. Do me a favor. That's not love. I've got three daughters, man. I've been through this process with my girls. Bring the boy here. <laughs> my daughter was a senior at high school. She said, come to me. Hey, Dad, I'm going to the movies. And Mom said, it's okay. Because they always pull that Mom said, it's okay card on me. Because, you know, they play you against each other. Wait till you have children. You know what I'm talking about. And when she said that, I just, uh, something's not right. So she goes out the door. I look through the window. I call on the phone and say, hey, who's that boy in the car with you? No, there's no boy. No, 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 no. His name is Graham. No, Dad. Listen, the Spirit of God told me his name is Graham. And it's your friend Lizzie's boyfriend. Now, he has weed in his pocket. Ask him why he has weed in his pocket. Dad, ask him. <laughs> Seriously, you ask my wife. You driving, you driving your daughter crazy? No, I'm not. I'm protecting my daughter's life. And my dad says you have weed in your pocket. <laughs> no, I don't. Tell him it's his left-hand pan pocket. There's the weed. Tell him to stop. I'm coming to get you right now. When I got there, the boy was gone. You know what? No boys in the school wanted to date my daughter. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yeah, you know why? Because my daughter is a foreigner. If she gets caught in a car where somebody has possession of a narcotic, she gets deported. The other kid may go to juvenile, but my child gets deported. Dad, I don't care. You want to go home on your own? Bye-bye. But as long as I'm here, you're protected, and you, 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 you run under my anointing, and nobody is going to get to you. So you know how my girls have lived. <laughs> but that's, just, that's important to me because you know what? That's my inheritance. My daughters are my inheritance. Everything they do will reflect on me. I am the covering of the household. I am the chief apostle of my household. My wife is the glory of my household. It's my responsibility to make sure that my daughters do the right things. When they come with guys, what do you think? It's not for you. Dad. It's not for you. She come out with a shotgun. <laughs> but I've had to learn to tone it down. Don't be so radical. Tone it down. All right. What do you think of me? Yeah, he's okay, but he's a loser. <laughs> How do you know? It's like, duh. When you bring a guy home to meet your father and he can't talk, how are you? Moon, moon. What? Moon, moon. Open your mouth, son. It's like, you don't need a word of wisdom to know this guy's a loser. 
You can't talk, man. When do you need the spirit of discernment for to know, oh, this is going to be a wonderful guy for my daughter. Total loser. This is what, this is what we need in our family. Hallelujah. God is destined for my daughter to marry a loser. No, no, go on talk. Open your mouth, son. Breathe. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. Six months later, dad, he was a total loser. Told you. How do you know? Stupid is a stupid dad. As far as Gump said that, didn't he? Yeah, great American prophet. <laughs> now, my third daughter, she's now wise. She's now sharp. This is a sharp cookie. Because now she knows. She looks at me. She's, Psst. I don't even talk to her. She just said, Daddy's a loser. I'm not interested. Because she's, she's got her identity. She's found out who she is. She doesn't need a man to fill her. See, the problem is most people in the relationship need somebody to fill, you need to fill me. You complete me, you know? <laughs> From the stuff we watch in the movies. <laughs> Jeez, help us. I, I, I don't know where to go from here, but I just want you to know, man, if you would plug into your assignment, all the grace you need for your assignment is there. The wisdom, the revelation, the provision, the anointing, the abilities to do what God's called you to do, it's all there. I don't have to strive. I don't have to try and look for ministry engagements or things like that. I don't. I just stay home. I say, God, you know where I am? You know where I live? Mm-hmm. If you want me to go and do something, call me. You know where I am. And it happens. I don't need to strive. I don't need to go, do you have a ministry? I don't do that. Because you know why? Because it's either spirit-led or it's not. If it's not by the Spirit of God, then it's not worth doing. See, my mission for coming here to talk to you people was this. is to try and engage something in you. Try and activate something in you. Because you know what? You don't just need another message. You don't just need another shandala or somebody to shandy over you. You really need to have an encounter, an experience with the presence of God. You really need to have God impact you right into your innermost being that your whole focus in your life will shift away from yourself and shift onto him that's what you need you need to get yourself like one of those bloodhounds you know you need to get yourself set in a course to serve him in a way that you can't be distracted when you when you're on that course you know as a young guy i was distracted with so many different things I was violent. I could never meet girls because girls were afraid of me. God had to put me in hospital on my back, unconscious, to meet my wife. I promise. I swear to God. I'm not lying to you. She's here tomorrow and she'll tell you. He had to knock me out. I wasn't looking for chicks. I was having too much fun blowing stuff up. (laughs) I was a Navy SEAL, man. I was having fun. Where's the next place? Where's the next thing we're going to shoot and blow? Great. And then one day I woke up in hospital and I looked up and there was this beautiful woman. I thought, oh God, I must be dreaming. I fell in love with her immediately. I mean, just my whole life just came to pieces right there. I mean, I had my leg in plaster up to here. I was supposed to be six months in a prone position. I got in my car and drove down to her house. A stick shift. I'm telling you, man, men do stupid things when they fall in love. I mean, I've jumped out of airplanes because I'm nuts, but I've never done that kind of stupid thing. Yeah, I couldn't, get this, I couldn't get this person out of my system. It was like, whoa, what was that? But I know that God needed to bring that into my life to create a balance. Because I know if he didn't create a balance in my life, I would have been off my head. My wife has created a balance. And brought a peace into my life. And, and there's one person who will tell me the truth. About myself. At all times. And that's the most important thing to have. A partner that will tell you the truth. Get up inside your Kool-Aid and say. Hey. This is how it is. See because when you're all knowing. As guys are. Because we know everything. <laughs> you're smiling. 
You, do you agree? <laughs> guys always seem to think they know everything. Sometimes women know more than guys do. But it's, it's, it's my conviction that the Holy Spirit is getting ready to do something in you. And I believe it's going to start tonight. I really believe that. I don't believe I'm here just to share a little bit of message or laugh a bit. I believe there's something that I'm coming to engage in you tonight that is going to activate your life and bring you closer to your assignment. Because to me, it's not worth living unless you're living within your assignment. It's not worth living if you're living just for what's out there. You need to be living for something that is much greater than you. See, the passion that I have is not because of who I am and what I do. It's because of who I do it for. You see, I'm not afraid of whatever's out there because I know that he's going to guide me and lead me through. He's going to get me through. So, Father, I pray tonight as by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that every heart and every man and woman tonight has been touched by your anointing. That every stronghold of discontent, every stronghold of insecurity and unsureness is released from them. That they would have a wisdom and a knowledge in how to pursue the kingdom. Tonight, Lord, that you would activate within them the anointing of the Holy Spirit.